All right, here we are. Here you are. The new year, the new episode, a new you, right? Uh, here it is, the latest episode of the Dan Time Podcast. I'm your host, Dan McArdle, and I sincerely hope you've enjoyed and been following and getting something out of these latest episodes and guests. And it, for the musicians checking out their catalogs and following them on social media, Dan Brody. Dan Brody last week. How about that one? Veteran musician out of Melbourne, Australia. What a fun conversation. Great depth of character that Dan possesses. Always mixing things up musically. If you missed that one, do yourself a favor and play it next. Now listen, this show is nothing without you. So I really appreciate you checking into it, making it a part of your rotation. Okay, let me tell you how you find me, not how you get to my house, but how you can reach out to me if you have uh, statements, requests, if you'd like to file and escalate complaints, dantimepod at gmail.com. That's the email for the show. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you've got a friend, a family member who you think would be a great participant in this project, you can uh, send that person's name or your name my way. You can also follow and message me on Instagram, X, the YouTube channel, and Facebook. Just search at DanTimePod. All right, freelance photographer Andy Rice of Andy Rice Media Works is my very special guest today. And I don't say that just because it sounds good. You're going to love this guy. We met nearly 25 years ago when each of us worked at record stores just down the highway from each other. It was part of a franchise. We'd send customers back and forth, and uh, we formed a bond back then. There was a fondness that we shared in that time period. And as is often the case, you drift apart. But you don't mean to drift apart. That person just uh, goes one way, you go another, you're young, and, uh, but you keep up with each other. And this is a guy who followed his dreams. He's still on that journey, but he took the leap at a point in time. He didn't know how it would turn out, but he bet on himself. And he's got an incredible story to share. Andy has photographed some of the biggest cultural figures of our time. Prince, Willie Nelson, B.B. King, the President of the United States, the Vice President, Governor Kay Ivey of Alabama, current GOP candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, and so many more. His work has been featured in major publications, and he was also asked to speak at the National Association of Black Journalists Convention. The list of people who have given Andy ringing endorsements for his work and his character literally goes on and on and on. But at his core, Andy is just a regular dude. He's a husband, a dad. He celebrates people. Andy, he helps people. He helps those who can't help themselves. We get into that in this conversation. And check this out. He enjoys an incredibly diverse range of music. We'll talk about this. We talk about it at such length that I've created a bonus episode just for you guys on top of this one to capture all of our far-ranging chat about bands and whatever else. Okay, folks, remember, follow Andy, check him out, look him up at 
Rice Andy, A-N-D-I. And remember, I think I discussed this a week or two ago. You don't have to be named Dan to be on this show. If you know me, that's uh, already a box checked. But how about this? Andy, in a four-letter name, has got the letters of the name Dan in there. Uh, It's just kind of mixed around. So um, that is a uh, special quality that, that really gives him icing on the cake. All right, without further blabbering, here it is. I know you're ready for it. I am too. It is Andy Rice time. Andy, let me just say it's great to be talking to you again. I'm so glad you called, and I'm so glad you invited me as a guest on the show. You know, I love... Not necessarily talking about myself, but I definitely love telling the story of how I got where I am now. And I'm not finished. I'm just ready to, to kind of keep going, man. So, well, we are fellow UAB grads, like yeah, my, my guest last week, Emily Haynes Cook. Uh, Andy and I, you're a few years before me, but we're both Blazers. And go, go Blazers. Tell me how you got from. You know, we'll touch on our history. You were in the corporate world for a while, and then you had this knack for photography. You had this, you probably experimented a little bit or did some stuff for fun. How did you decide to make the leap? Well, you know, photography for me came, was a gift that my mom gave me, you know. So, you know, she didn't want me to, I, I was pretty wild little kid, just all over the place, and you know, probably before ADHD was a big deal and before people even knew that it was a big deal, uh, I had it, you know, I'm, I'm a 70s baby. So mom never wanted to medicate me, you know, because she felt like the drugs would change me. You know, she didn't want, she was happy with who I was as a kid, you know, so she didn't want any chance that that glimmer of that shine from her son would would change. So like, you know, to settle me down, I'll never forget. It's Christmas time. The summer before this Christmas, we got a Atari 2600 and she was just like, okay, that'll, that'll, that'll settle. And that summer before that Christmas, we had a huge like family reunion and my dad had a Canon 81 or family had a Canon 81 camera. And somehow through all that good time in a family reunion, I think an auntie or something or during a hug or something like that spilled a drink into that camera. And my dad was bummed. You know, he bought another camera, of course. And that camera just kind of sat around for months. And long story short, I went to the downtown library. And that's uh, these kids these days don't know about microfish. Um, But I found the uh all the information to canon and i wrote them this choppy letter and talked them into sending me copies of the schematic for that model took the camera apart and cleaned every inside it was sticky and you know cleaned everything up put a battery in it and i would go i had a camera and so mom was a hobbyist and she kind of like they were amazed that I like got the camera. My dad was kind of like, dude, I wish you would have told me that before I bought the camera. 
So, so that's basically how I got into photography. My mom was a hobbyist and she kind of taught me photography. She would, you know, buy me film or I, I had a couple of odd jobs as a, as a kid and we'd get film and basically every week, you know, I'd shoot a couple of weeks, 36 roll or 24 roll. And then we go and see what I got. And she kind of critiqued me and kind of teach me along the way. That's, that's pretty much how I got into it. So I've always been into photography, even before I took a break from the corporate world to do it professionally. Now, when you decided to just go headlong into it, did you have any reservations? Um, were you kind of hesitant maybe for a period of years? Like, I don't know. I want to make this work, but I don't know how successful this is going to be. Or did you have the mindset like, I'm just going to blow it out of the water? Oh, man, I, you know, I, it was pretty scary because I had just left um, a, a nice position with a big telecommunications company, and I'd worked there for years and got a, a pretty good uh, split. I took my benefits, and I just kind of ran. But, you know, my dad worked a corporate job. My mom was a teacher, so it was just in my soul. It was just in my blood for a while. And I, I kept uh, I kept working in corporate, you know, even though I had this thing on the back burner that I really wanted to pursue, I just I just never did it just because I didn't have the confidence that, you know, there's no benefits package, there's no insurance, you know, no health insurance. And that those are things that you always get when you have one of those, you know, corporate jobs. So I, I actually left Bell South at the time and took a job at the bank in fraud, you know, so I still had in my mind, this is the way to survive. This is the way to be professional. And, um, man, that, that job in the bank just, man, it, it, uh, it sucked my soul away. Mm -hmm. it, was a, it was a great gig, but one day, uh, it was actually the day that I, the last day of my two weeks notice for that job, I got a call from UAB and something happened to their photographer. I'd done some things for UAB in the past, so they had me on their, their list, and they called me, and I was there, and the rest kind of is history. There's some stuff that happened in between that really made me solidify my decision, but then I can get into that, too. Isn't that something, how things happen? Like you said, the last day of the two-week notice, you're sitting there at the yeah. desk, at the keyboard. Yeah, with my box. Like, this will be over soon, and, and they called, and actually, my boss at the time was just like, man, get after it. On my last day, he was just like, there's no reason to miss that. You know, you usually yeah. find people in some of those places where you're not really, you just know you're not destined to be there for the rest of your life. Have you found, like, good friendships, good people in places you don't really want to be, but they end up they're rooting for you. They know that you've got a knack for something else. And they're like, just That's, like you said, there, there are tons of people there. Like I said, my old boss, cause you know, I would plug in for Christmas parties and uh, celebrations of our team's advancement, you know, with pictures. So they, they knew that pictures were kind of like photography was my thing. So it's always great that, you know, it's a delight to have those people around that support you like that. And that, that happened. That happened at, at that bank job. So they they kind of knew, and they were ready. So When you have that, that passion, it's probably hard to keep it a secret. 
you end up talking about it or showing someone something that you've been working on? Oh yeah. I said I was doing all that stuff at, you know, they were, they were paying me to do the stuff, you know, at little events and Christmas parties and any kind of like corporate celebration that we had for our department. They'd be like, Andy can take the pictures and, you know, they throw me a little cash for that, but it definitely was very obvious that this, this is something that I needed to pursue to make me happy. Well, flash forward, you know, several years, and, and now you're taking assignments from New York Times, Washington Post Magazine, Bloomberg. Could you have seen some of this unfolding a few uh, years prior? Did you know that you had the goods once you, once you got going? I knew that I had the goods, Dan. I just didn't really, I wasn't in contact with the right people. But there are a lot of things that came positive from that pandemic period if we can remember three years back, but that was one of them. All of my corporate work had kind of like grind to a halt because nobody was gathering. All corporate events were done, you know, so nobody was working in these big corporate boxes anymore, which were, those were my playground, you know, uh, all these corporate headquarters around town. Those are the places that I go to set up for headshots or set up for corporate sales meetings or, end of the year uh, celebrations that a lot of the corporations around here have. And when COVID hit, they were just saying, no, we got to stay in place. The only thing that stayed relevant and stayed active was the news. And, you know, I hate to be a broken record, but you just got to be ready, man. And I got the call. I think it was, it was wall street journal. It was wall street journal. And, the assignment was basically about the way that a small town in Alabama is handling the pandemic and the distribution of the vaccine and just all of that stuff. And basically I got that call and that was my first assignment. It was in March of 2020 and I was super green. There's a process for that level of journalism and I had no idea how to do it. I kind of got lucky, did some research and nailed it. Just kind of one of those things. It's like once you do it good, all those guys associate with each other. It's a big club. The guy from Wall Street Journal's worked at the, the New York Times before. He, he's got friends from college that work at the Washington Post. And, you know, that they, they ask the question, who's your guy in Birmingham? Who's your guy in the South? You have a good photographer that we can depend on. Because it's all about timeliness. It's all about uh, you got to get that stuff in. As soon as you hit the button to take the picture, they want it. The editors want that stuff because news is news has to be present and recent. That's pretty much how I got into uh, working for some of the big big publishers. Yeah, Andy. On that note, where people ask who's your guy in Birmingham, folks listening to this podcast right now, you always hear me. It may sound like I'm just flattering the guest. I'm just saying, oh, you're you're the best guy in this department or whatever. I really mean it, and don't take my word for it. If you connect with Andy on LinkedIn or just visit his page, scroll down to the testimonials, um, the comments on Andy and his work, his character. It literally goes on and on and on. I was so impressed here, Andy, uh, the people that have worked with you and the things that they've said. I'll just read a couple, just a couple excerpts. Heather Durham. Uh, with Heather Durham Photography, she said, he's early to every assignment, establishes an excellent, quiet, and friendly rapport with the client, 
I fondly refer to him as the lighting ninja. So just talking about this some kind of a little <laughs> niche area here, but because he moves around quietly, quickly, and accurately to make sure every shot is ready to go to keep the shoot running on or ahead of schedule. These are um, people that you've assisted on various Yeah, man. That, locations. That, that, uh... Art Maripol. He's unfailingly oh, yeah. polite and respectful of everyone. I'm just not even talking about your work, but just your character. I've known few others, few others in or out of my work life with a better outlook or more humane heart. Andy, that that is just gold. And it, I, I think back 25 years and I'm like, they're spot on. That's why I remain friends with this guy, why I wanted to talk to him today. So let, let's talk about that. Um, I started, when I knew this was something that I wanted to do, uh, I started looking around town at, you know, people that I admire looking at their work. And there is a photographer in town and she, she's still, you know, forced to be reckoned reckon with. She took me on as an assistant. And basically that's, man, that was one of the best moves ever just because you're, you're basically being paid to learn. And it's hard. It's hard work because you're not the star. You're there to kind of, help the star be the star, you know? So, you know, there's a lot of loading in and loading out and a lot of heavy lifting and you've got to learn light because, you know, the key photographer, and I say I've done both roles, the key photographer needs to stay with the client. And I I can't tell you how invaluable uh, I started that role with her here in Birmingham and in 2011, and I worked with her for seven years on every shoot, on every assignment, big headshot installations to celebrity, you know, shootings. So I have to like stress that that's was one of the most important parts for my development is to, to learn, you know, and like I said, you get, you get paid to learn how to do your job. It was an amazing experience because she didn't make any, any mistakes, but, you are responsible because you're the assistant, but it's there's a lighter load because you're still learning. You're still just kind of watching. But after a while, your key photographer, they depend on you to, like, kill it so they can kill it. So assisting, it's it, it slowed down a whole bunch for me. I, I'm, I'm At this point in my career, I, I cherry-pick the people that I want to assist, but I'm not – too proud like that song the temptations not too proud to beg you know if annie Leibovitz comes to town and she gets my name i'm assistant just because i mean i'll get a chance to work with one of the greats and that's that's been my attitude for assisting so i'll say that to any you know aspiring photographer if, if there is somebody that you can learn from and they're willing to pay you to do it go for it head first andy and uh you must have also in those moments had the presence of mind that, you know, if I make a good impression here, now I've I've got a strong contact. Do you always think about building out your network when you're in those situations like, hey, I mean, I need to really shine on all ends here, or does it? Yeah, because in the early years, you're helping these folks, and they're only one person. They, you know, some of these folks had small crews or small a small group of people that work for them. But mostly in the freelance world, it's just you. If if you're lucky enough to 
be able to pay a staff, it's still small. But like I said before, it, it was a very important part of my career path because uh, with these small crews, these folks can't be everywhere every time. So and that's when the magic starts. That's when you're assisting somebody and you consider them your boss or the lady that I worked for in town, she, she, she was a, a, a big, big time photographer. She still is. And uh, she just took me under her wing and just, just taught me just so much about the business. I, or it's not a secret. It's, I'll reveal it. Her name was Lisa Cole and we're still amazing friends. And uh, she's still an amazing photographer. And, you know, we, we still, anytime we have a chance to talk and catch up, we still, we, we do that. But she referred many jobs to me in the beginning, you know, that she just couldn't do or wasn't interested, interested in doing. And that started building my, my customer base, you know, it's twofold. You, you learn, you get paid to learn. These key photographers that you're assisting are going to get busy and they're going to start throwing you there. I call it scraps, but it's not. These are all top tier jobs that my key photographers knew that I could, could crush. And from there, man, that, you know, you start developing your own rapport with these people and they start talking about you and spreading your name. And it's just kind of, it, it, it kind of keeps going and going and going. Andy, I want to uh, get into some of the subjects that you've had a chance to photograph. And I love how you say on your Instagram that you're a photographer of people and a photographer of things. Um, So in a minute here, I want to get into some of the high-profile subjects. But, man, you've documented, you know, the plight of people that that live in thousands of people that live in public housing, and they're just, I think you said, dangerously close to some of the most polluted places in the country. And they don't have the means to get away from it. And so you've really brought pollution and some of these crises that get buried under the big headlines to the front. How important is, is it to you to have that be part of your body of work? Man, it, it's really important. I, I think that uh, some of these folks don't have a voice and that's what I use my camera for is to kind of like, you know, speak for them. The particular project that you were talking about is happening right here in Birmingham. We have heavy industry on the Eastern side of town collegeville area and man it, it's just it's just nasty out there and that stuff seeping into the air and seeping into the groundwater and these folks need you know somebody to tell their story so that they can either get out of those areas or so that they can you know super fun and fix those areas so when i got that assignment yeah i took it very seriously yeah i think it's it's easy for people to just not really have the awareness it's it's nasty out there. We're walking around. We were walking around. I had a, a an assistant. And we were walking around in the grass, and there was this fine dust in the grass. And I think I threw away my shoes or something. Like I don't know. It's a terrible situation, but it's gotten better. And a lot of those folks have moved out of those areas. But for a while, it, it definitely was something that folks were, were was turning a blind eye to because they just weren't aware. But I was really happy to explain and tell those stories for those people. Now, last year, Andy, 
on two separate locations, you had the opportunity to photograph uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris. Um, mm-hmm. President Biden and Hope Hall, I guess he was giving a speech at uh, the Lockheed Martin weapons plant. Yep. And uh, Vice President Harris in Selma. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody listening, I got people all over the world, all over the country. This is not, I don't take a political stance. I don't endorse candidates. I don't, none of that stuff. But I just, Andy, just the <laughs> opportunity, uh, whether this person has an R or a D next to their name, how cool was it to, Man, t- it, how did you get the assignment? I mean, just. Like I said, they, you just do really well the first time. And the good stuff will always follow. I've actually. Um, Let me ask I'm you this. Were, were you particularly nervous on these assignments versus some of the live music assignments that you've done or is it how does that work because they you know we're talking about government and secret service and i've uh i'll I'll be the first to admit that i don't really do new year's resolutions but um my social media uh, presence realized personally that's something i need to do more of and i haven't even showed like I've, i've taken portraits of the vice president and the president several times and that's that's something I'm gonna do more of in 2024. Just be more present with my my social media uh, posts and stuff. I just haven't. It, it's published, but I just haven't put it up on my personal uh, social channels. So after the first time, uh, they they do all the background check, make sure you're not crazy, and it, after that, man, it's just all love. You know, you you get to know their press secretaries. And you get to know their marketing people. And there was a there was a time near Chattanooga that the vice president, she was doing a, a thing on green energy. And near Chattanooga in Georgia, there's a company that does, um, they do solar panels. And the vice president toured the facility. And like all the, most of the times, not all the times, but this was a time that I actually got to, to ride in the press pool. Now that's where it gets really cool because you're in line with secret service, you know, all the security, you're flanked by black Hawk helicopter flight. You look up to your left up in the sky and there's, there's a guy watching black Hawk. It's just, it's pretty impressive. I, I didn't do a lot of video personally and put a lot of that stuff up, but just because of the security nature and I don't want them to, I don't want to disclose a lot of that stuff, but man, it was, it was fun. Like just tear assing through town and a, you know, 10 vehicle, you know, convoy, you know, with security all around you and super mean guys that you only see in movies. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. You know, you get there, you jump out of a all black Tahoe. That's probably, you know, got some kind of armor around it. It's just, it's pretty amazing, man. I'll run to those assignments all the time just because the treatment is just top notch. Are you looking around, like I said, some of these faces and these these people and thinking, really? Like, I'm here? Uh, yeah. Do, or do you flash back to the college days or the <laughs> music store days or the corporate? You're just thinking, wow. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> glad. I'm really looking around glad. I'm like, glad I didn't get into too much trouble back in the day that wouldn't have allowed me to do this kind of stuff because the, the, the background checks are pretty extensive. I mean, you're right. You know, at times I, you know, could have reached out and, 
to touch either one of them, you know, like, so, um, are you actually, I, you're not in the same vehicle as the vice president? No, 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 no. They're like four cars ahead. You know, they're, they're in the same group of vehicles, you know, that I'm, that I'm in. And you know, there's a, a nicely dressed secret service guy. I'm in the back seat, and there's a media person sitting next to me and a driver and a, you know, secret service guy. Wow. <laughs> How can you, can you tell that these guys, the, the secret service detail that they are always on, like they are ready for the worst thing to happen at any moment, or do they seem like regular guys? Um, there are different tiers The you know, the guy that, that's in the vehicle with me, he's got a suit on, but, you just know that he's <laughs> he, that suit got pockets, you know. You know. But those, are, you know, you know, I'm sure they put the warriors there somewhere else. These guys are the guys that uh, actually one of the guys that on one of the last assignments with the vice president, he actually grew up in Shelby County, in near where I live. I live in Shelby County in Alabama now, and he. You know, he told me his whole story. He was a sheriff. He was a Shelby County sheriff before he, you know, went back to military and started pursuing Secret Service. So, uh-huh. you know, you just never know. It, those, those guys are all hardcore guys. And, yeah, you, you know that they're super trained and they're super together. And if something hits the fan, man, you know that they're ready. I, I wouldn't want to be the one on the business end of <laughs> of that. All right, so Andy, I understand in the 2022 Alabama GOP primary, you had a chance, you had an assignment to cover the candidates in that race, the incumbent Governor Ivey, uh, who's since reelected, and Lindy Blanchard. I guess she was the former ambassador to Slovenia. How was that yeah. experience, man? It's pretty cool, man. Like I say, these folks are celebrities and politicians. They're people just uh, like all of us. They were real approachable. I didn't really have a lot of words for Governor Ivy and the other candidates just because I was busy shooting pictures, but all of our interactions were really calm and chill, you know. I really mostly interact in those situations with the marketing representatives that work for those candidates and those uh, those figures. But, uh, man, I, I love all of the, that type of work. It's different. It comes along with the territory, and I dig it. Now, also, we're in the middle, I mean, unless you're living under a rock, we're in the middle of a presidential race, and you've, as we discussed, you've had the opportunity to photograph the president, vice president. I understand you've also been able to shoot Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah, he came through, he came through Birmingham recently as part of you know, campaigning part of the GOP campaign. And of course, as you may or may not know, uh, one of the main debates was in Tuscaloosa, Alabama this year. Right. That was pretty exciting. He had a, a meet and greet at a resort here in town, Ross Bridge. It was really cool. He, you know, he's got some interesting views. He's definitely a very electric orator. He, you know, he knows how to like grab a crowd. And I don't know if any of these people were naysayers or if they were just you know, there because they were fans of, of him, but I enjoyed listening to him. But of course, you know, me shooting or covering an event like that, it's not personal. I'm just there to, to, you know, document the event 
you know, I'm, I'm a photojournalist, so my job is to take pictures so that the people that want to learn about it or were not able to attend the event can see, you know, what type of uh, imagery was going on during the event. So, yeah, you, you yeah. could have, I mean, if the president had been Bernie Sanders instead of Joe Biden or it was during the Trump yeah. administration and you get the call, you're taking that aside, but you, that's not something you turn down. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's just, you know, I have a job to do and I take it seriously. And that's, that's the way I look at it. Well, Vivek, you know, his policy positions aside, you could definitely tell that when the lights come on, he's someone that plays to the cameras. He's probably a good subject in that, in that respect, right? Where oh, he's got, got the great. smile and the flash and the big smile. Yeah. He's got obvious camera presence and i don't know if that's just something he learned during his campaign or it could be just something natural it, it seems like it's just that's just him i think he he has background in technology and business so he's just probably just used to presenting his ideas to a crowd he just knows how to like grab a crowd's attention and uh he does that well and um yeah you can contrast those events to like I said, the local level where Governor Ivy, for instance, you know, she didn't campaign hard to become governor. She became governor via a resignation uh, at the beginning, and then she campaigned right. for reelection. But, you know, she's not someone that's trying to get out in front of the camera. It's just because of the position that she's in. She's going to be Correct. photographed. There's going to be a need to document her appearances. Oh, yeah. Uh, did you get a chance to meet the governor or Ambassador Blanchard? I got a chance to, to meet Ambassador Blanchard. She's really sweet, nice lady. Like I said before, my, my words are always pretty short. So I had to do some a couple of portraits of the governor. And like I said, it, I just keep it chill. It's always, you know, very respectful. And thank you so much for just taking the time out to just sit for me for two minutes or five minutes or whatever has been, you know, set aside for me as a photographer. So I just let people, my subjects know that I appreciate their time. They didn't have to, they didn't have to stop for me for two minutes for me to get a picture or just lights or set up things. And so I'm, I'm very thankful. So I, I just shake a hand, give a smile and say, thank you. Andy, do you ever have situations where something with your equipment goes wrong uh, at the worst possible time, you've got three minutes to get it right. Have you had some mishaps that have occurred and you've you, the brow is sweating, but you got to keep it cool and you got to figure something out? Have you ever had something like that happen? Or does really, it does it go pretty well um, for the most part? It goes pretty well when I'm uh, when I'm on those types of assignments. I spend the 24 hours prior to the assignment just making sure that. Everything is is charged, mm -hmm. is ready. Everything is backed up. Got a couple of hard drives for me for after the fact. Um, You're not just rolling out of bed that morning and <laughs> <laughs> leaving much to chance. Yeah, at these these events, they're depending on you to provide the content for the news. So there can't be any mistakes. Actually, they're just there's there can't be any like mishaps. So, man, I've got, like, I don't know, man, like 10 charged batteries, 
20 cards, 20 data cards, you know, SD cards, each, you know, with capacities of between 32 and 128 gigs. So I'm just, I'm just ready for whatever. And I've got, I've got a cool, you got to have a cool bag. I use a lot of think tank equipment bags and they got a pocket in there for everything. And they're just easy to keep up with all your stuff. I, I always double fist. I've even taken three bodies to shoots before, but no, no less than two bodies. And that's, that's kind of like a standard for this type of work. I guess, yeah, that most people don't realize how much preparation, how many hours of preparation go in, you know, before yeah, it's time. Just the, the guy that tells the marketing rep or the photo editor that something like that, I don't think you can do it. I don't think that you can make those mistakes. You just have to be on. You got to, like you asked about the Secret Service guys, they can't, they can't make those mistakes. So, you know, I, I just go in ready to roll. How much fun is it when you are, like I mentioned, you're photographing Willie Nelson, Leon Bridges, Mariah? Man, I've been, I've been uh, here currently. I've been really, really busy with all of my corporate interests and all of my editorial interests. Uh, I just kind of made a promise to myself to get back into the music, which will happen. Uh, I'm going to go pretty hard on that kind of stuff in 2024 just um because that that's really where i kind of started the industry standard is three songs uh first three songs no flash that's kind of like the rule so the anticipation of your favorite artist and sometimes it's an artist that i haven't even worked with before or haven't even listened to before but man you know waiting for that that artist to hit the stage and you're in the pit and you're waiting for you know get the chance to to portrait them man i can't explain it you know especially if it's somebody iconic and legendary it, it's it's an amazing feeling to be that close to these to these folks and they're they're just human beings like everybody else but um one instance uh, I'll, I'll mention this bb king he was at a venue here in town and of course he's an older artist you know before he passed he, he was up there in age but Still, you know, still amazing to, to, to watch. But the venue had to make special preparation for some of the um, participants that needed ADA access, you know, um, mm -hmm. disabled folks. And it, and it really, usually there's about two feet between the, the lip of the stage and the back of the barrier. So it's plenty of, plenty of space to walk in the pit. But because they had to, you know, make uh, accommodations for those folks, caused the pit area to only be a foot wide. <laughs> so I'm a big boy, man. I, I squeeze in a good to get good portraits of BB King and uh, I almost was really right in front of him. And I was kind of, I never like to do that. And that's just me personally. I don't ever want to be annoying as a, as a photographer. You, you really want to be a fly on the wall. You don't want to be in that bubble. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid that man, this close to this guy, you know, he's gonna call one of his, you know, his people and get me out of the pit before the three, <laughs> right in front of him almost. But he was totally cool. You know, we we danced. I, you know, I would crouch low as as I could to, and I always, me personally, I always respect the payers. I call them the ticket payers. Those are the folks 
that, you know, paid to be in the front, you know, so I don't ever, I don't want the back of my head to be the first thing you see when you're trying to check out your favorite artist. And man, it was a part of the show and he was passing, he was flicking these um, uh, guitar picks out to the you know, crowd and they were going wild because, you know, when you're BB King, you've got your own personalized guitar pick. They've got your picture on them. They've got your signature on them. And these folks were just going crazy to get these picks. I was so close to him. I held my hand out for him, which is something I never do. And it was the best, it was the best ever. He placed it in my hand and I don't know, man, I, I just, I oh, felt wow. like I felt like nothing else could. You're floating on air. Yeah. So, and that's happened a couple of times with other artists. Player did something similar at the same venue. So, it happens, man. You just got to be ready. Do you get a chance to talk to any of these artists after the show or? They're they're pretty guarded, you know, and I never want to overstep my boundary with the artist with the artist management or the venue. So if I'm not invited to those places, I usually kind of just chill out. I don't really push the issue on that. But if I'm backstage and not, you know, I'm usually like a handshake and thank you kind of guy. You know, I'm just like, thanks for coming. You know, thanks for, you know, playing for us tonight. And I just kind of leave it at that. You know, I just kind of leave it as a, a you know, something that I can remember for the rest of my life and something that I can, you know, I was there. You know, I don't have to be a loud mouth to prove that I was there, you know, so. Yeah, you see people sometimes, I, I guess, as you get older and you don't get the photograph, you don't get the autograph, but mm-hmm. you remember it. I've met, I've, I've met, I've met some musicians and, and, and a famous athlete, I'm not going to mention their names, but didn't get a photograph, didn't ask for it, did ask for them to sign anything, but just had a moment of conversation and just left left them alone, you know? They get enough of that. Yeah, because, man, they played all night, been on stage all night, and the last thing they want to do is get in kind of interview-esque kind of situation. Right. They're ready to shower and get on the bus and go to the next gig <laughs> or go to the hotel and take a nap or, you know, they're... They're just people like everybody else. And, I, you know, I, I learned that early, you know, because of the access that I've been granted. And and I'll, I'll say this, that's what keeps you getting the access. It, it'll take one time for a tour manager to tell a, a venue manager that, yeah, that guy, that guy right there, mm. you know, you know, you know that. so I just kind of always keep it chill and, you know, play the self-respect card. It's just kind of like, how would I want somebody to approach me if I was in this position? So I just kind of, you know, keep it chill. Andy, uh, last summer I saw that you you spoke at the NABJ convention, the National Association of Black Journalists, and w- was part of a panel discussion. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that, how much fun you had doing something like that. Man, it was awesome um, just to have that talent in – this town was amazing. It was an honor for them to pick our, us as a venue for such a large event. Uh, I was able to reach out to a couple of editors that I had only met through email and over the phone 
because they came to the NABJ. So that that was in itself um, one of my favorite editors from the Washington Post. Um, I, I got to meet him, and there were brunches and tons of social time for us to kind of you know talk through some things, and it was it was it was an honor you know for them to ask me to do it, and when we talked about basically my my journey, kind of similar conversation that we're having today, just kind of talk about how I got started and some things that led to my success and man it was great uh, i can't say anything bad about the nabj i, I i'm looking forward to uh, obviously this year i'll have to travel but folks came from all over from as far as washington state as down south as lower parts of florida and miami and folks came from everywhere new york uh, so it, it was just it was a great time to network with peers and and uh, talk about what we love is, is being visual journalists. Andy, I just, well, first of all, I just so enjoy this conversation. I feel like that you you just have an interest in humanity, in your fellow man, your fellow woman. And I guess just, that comes with, that might have come with getting a little older and having children. You know, you just want to, you're, you're always teaching and you know they're always watching. So now, um, You've got, we talked about this, you've got three children, Man. I've got three kids, and I think we have the same order where it's two boys and then the girl. How much has being a dad shaped your current outlook on your professional life, your home life? Man, it's, it's great. You know, they embrace what I do, and they know daddy takes pictures for a living, and um, especially my oldest this summer. It was the first summer that uh, he got a chance to work with me and it took a little, you know, he's just like, man, you, you want me to work? It's summer vacation. But then when I told him about, you know, the incentive, I, I paid him, you know, and he made a lot of money this summer, you know, for a 14 year old kid. And, um, it's great. He, he's, he's totally in. He, he, he assisted me on a lot of uh, shoots this summer. The what's in it for him he definitely had, had won him over. He, I, I never, I only had to, only had to fuss at him about getting up the first time and being able to meet all these interesting people in all these interesting situations that he normally would not be in if his dad wasn't a photographer. He, he really enjoyed it, and obviously, being a father, it, it gave me a time to spend some time with my kid, and it was great, man. He's he's really he's an assistant with me now. Whenever I, I need one and he's not in school, he's totally on it. Uh, we also mentioned before we set up the call here uh, that I want to talk about some guy stuff. I think that it's really important in 2024 now, uh, more than ever, that men are involved in their children's lives, whether they're with the mother or they're not. Um, yeah. That guys hang out with guys, you know, either in their professional life or they foster some kind of friendship, don't have to go have beers at their somebody's house every weekend, but just just to have um, male friendships. It's not really always talked about a lot, but I think it's very important for, for men to be well-rounded and to be good to women, to be respectful of women, and even people from different cultures, different backgrounds. It's just something that, I've always believed in, and now that I have two boys, I want them, and I think you do too, 
to to see their dad doing something that you know either they want to emulate or they at least think, hey, that's pretty cool. My dad's a photographer, and that you take them to breakfast, you sit down and you eat with them, and you put the phone down, you look them in the you know get the eyeball time. Yeah, um, what are your thoughts? Man, I think it's really important. I think that we're old school, so we just try to mix a lot of those old old school ideals to our kids. I, I'll never forget. Obviously, I told you about how things slowed down during COVID, but we were just like very committed. Me and my wife were really committed about keeping our kids mentally sharp, you know, and spiritually sharp. As far as like being stuck in a house, we made sure that we stayed outside, man. We did a lot of camping and a lot of outdoors stuff and uh, a lot of cooking outside. And That's good. One day it was raining. It was so raining. It was just raining. And the kids were like sad because we had planned. We just got um, ordered Frisbees from like Amazon and they were so bummed. So I looked out and there was no lightning. It was just good rain. And I was just like, have you guys ever played in the rain? And we just went out inside, outside and just played Frisbee in the rain. You know, and it, it, it was, I've got pictures of it. It was just one of our, I don't know, it was, it was one of those moments where you as a father, you know you're doing it right, you know, when your kids are playing in the rain. And that's just something that when I was little, we wouldn't have even asked. We would just, as long as it was safe, you know, no, no lightning or anything. But it's it's really important that you take time for your family. And anytime I can, the kids always know I'm up here at my studio now. And it, you know, for all practical purposes, it's just a, it's just a room, you know, with the bathroom, but they know they, you know, they can come up here and grab the remote and watch kid shows on the Roku or, you know, there's plenty of cool things to snack on and there's plenty of cool drinks and cold waters in the fridge. So I, I'm. They know that they can get around you. Even if you got something, you got to focus on for a little bit they could be with dad yeah i want them to always be you know i never want them to be uh i never want to have to beg them to come up here you know so they you know they might show up mom might bring them up here any 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 minute today and leave them and they know that there's a park across the street i'm, I'm off highland avenue so it's just really it's really pleasant you know up here it's a really cool cool scene now, your daughter, like mine, is your baby, Andy. Man. Talk about this guy stuff, but let me tell you something. I think you might be able to relate. When I hold my baby girl, it's like, I'm not even saying this right, but it's like a lightning bolt through my heart. It's just, she. there's something about when you, a dad with his baby girl, you oh, know no. that you are you are wrapped up with her for the rest of her life, rest of your life. And you kind of, you feel, I don't want to call it a weight, but you definitely know, all right, you better be on your A game, buddy, because she's going to look up to you. And if you start making a mess of yourself, which you're not going to, you know, you're not, I'm not, but they, girls don't need that. They don't need their dads to disappear. They don't need their dads to, um, I've, I've dated women that have, do not have good histories with their fathers and it changes the course of their life, but not to get so deep there, but how, how tender is that relationship? You remember when she was a little baby and it's amazing. Like, um, 
I can't stress that enough. It's just like, she gives me everything I need as far as, you know, just, I don't mean to be cliche, but the whole, you know, Hey daddy, when I walk in the door, Mm -hmm. uh, she just knows that it's hard for me to tell her no. And that I've got her back, you know, and she's a, she's a budding artist. She draws and she sits and she's got her own little portfolio desk and place where she's got all her crayons and color pencils and stencils and construction paper. And she's a mess and a beauty at the same time. She's, she's so amazing. Like I, I, man, you can get my, my heart's, my heart's starting to be fast. <laughs> she knows that she's my heart and, the boys do too, but man, it's just something special about the relationship that you have with your only, your the important, your only daughter. That's so right. Yeah, man. She hadn't got, she hadn't picked up a camera yet, but she's definitely on her way. You know, she, we call it. She's our little artist, and she, she's. <laughs> I don't know. If they blue dog me with that. Say, uh, say it again. I think it's George Rodriguez. He's a he's from Louisiana and he draws the blue dog. It's just a blue dog. She's never seen this, but uh, it, it reminds me. She does cats. She does like these cat faces, and man, they're amazing. Like you know, <laughs> she does them with polka dots. She does them all kinds of ways. And, uh, I'll have to show that. I'll have to show that to you. But she draws all kinds of stuff. She does dogs. She does all kinds of animals. But they're amazing. Like I'm, I'm really proud of her with the way she's advanced her her art at such a young age. But, you know, they say the, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, so there's that. Yeah, and you just got to be, like I am with my kids, you start seeing those traits from for either they got from you or your side of the family or your wife, and oh, yeah. you just try to foster a good environment for them to explore those interests. Andy, real quick here. I wish we could talk for another hour. I'm just so enjoying this. I got a few random questions. I always throw in at the end. Well, first of all, let me just run through. So everybody listening, Andy and I first met would have been the early spring, 1999. We worked at music stores. They were part of a franchise. And I, I didn't know it at the time, but what a year for music. We could talk a lot about it was CD Warehouse, uh, just how cool it was back then to have a record store where people met and talked about music. We don't quite have it the same way now, but listen to some of these releases from that year. Britney Spears makes her debut. Mm-hmm. Christina Aguilera. Blink-182 comes out on the scene in a huge way, basically just recharges that, that power pop genre. The Coachella festivals, the first, the first one, Corn. I, I didn't remember this one. Corn's the first rock band to perform at the Apollo. Napster is launched that year. Backstreet Boys. It's a big year for for that music. Lauren Hill takes home five Grammys. The first female artist to take home five Grammys in one night. I mean, the list goes on. You've got, I think Nas had a couple releases. What a fun time! What are you? I mean. What are your thoughts when you look back on just working in a record store at the dawn of the 21st century? And Man, I, I think it was really cool, and I, I miss it. You know, I miss it dearly. 
Uh, I think that the music industry has changed so drastically. Uh, I actually have a, a moment when I really remember it, it changing and it, it kind of made me sad. It might have been Tools Lateralis. I had ordered, man, I ordered what I thought was enough. You know, CDs, you know the, the day, the, the release day. I enough think, CDs. I think, you thought you'd ordered enough CDs for that day? That release was a big, big release. It was Lateralis, I think it came out 2001, maybe, or I don't know, around that time, 2002. And, um, we, we just slammed through, like, a case of CDs is 30, if you remember that. That's right. Those little box, those boxes, rectangular. Yep, yep. Uh, there's 30 in, a, in, a, in a, a bushel or whatever you want to call it, case. And I think we did three cases and just blew through them. And I will never forget doing, a, a, like, a, a cash pool into across the street they had just opened a, a target and i think they were selling the cd for maybe at, at our cost or a dollar above our cost and i sent somebody because i hated turning people away and since we weren't really losing any money on the buy i sent him over there to buy like 10 copies of that cd i know the people at target were looking at him crazy but that's when i knew that, that that day made me sad because i knew that you know as a cd store and as a as an entity in business we couldn't sustain it i knew that something was going to change and when i was able to buy at cost be across the street from a big box retailer the days were numbered a, yeah that was a sad and surely enough within like two years after that I think the store, I think my location closed. I can't really remember that far back. Getting old, man. We've got a record store here in Pensacola called The Music Box. And they mm-hmm. you walk in and, man, does it not feel like, like I said, 1999, 2001, all over again. I don't think they burn incense a lot, but you kind of smell where it used to be um, <laughs> fired up yeah. and... There's used CDs. There's a huge vinyl collection. I love going in there. You know, the later model vehicles, if you go buy a new car now, they're usually not going to have a CD player. I still was oh. rocking the CDs until about 20, nah, 2020, like about three years ago. I kind of oh. miss it. I mean, it's you don't want to be driving 65 miles an hour and change it, putting in your, taking out CDs in a, a one-disc changer, but. I just got a new vehicle and uh, yeah, there's, there's, you're not streaming or listening to satellite radio. You don't have a way to do anything. There's no cassette. There's no CD player at all. I feel like the CD still, they sounded better. There's just a lot. Uh, I don't know. I've, I, I play Apple music on the road. Yeah. Sounds pretty good. I, maybe there's not a difference. Maybe it's all in my head. I don't think. I think that it that it sound I don't I won't say better. I just think it sounds different. Yeah. What was on the back of the, the nomenclature, the AAD, you remember that? Right. These kids these days that means. So I do remember listening to CDs that were AAD, that's uh analog recording, analog mix, 
digital master. That's what the letters stand for. I do remember a time when I would buy a CD and it would be DDD. Now those clearly sounded different and that's crazy. Like you have a digital, the uh, ending digital platform, the CD, the compact disc that had its original masters recorded in an analog fashion. And then as technology advanced, the master was digital from the start so that your mix was digital as well, as well as your final playback media. So I, I do remember seeing the A's disappear from the back of the CD. And then I remember it not even being a thing at all. You could buy a CD and it, the nomenclature was just not on there at all, which, you know, makes me feel old. I, for, I think the first CDs I bought, it was not until 1995, I remember, because I was buying cassettes up until my first car. So I was 16 and 95. Do you remember yep. the first CD that you purchased? Oh, man, yeah, absolutely. It was probably a little earlier than that. I got my first CD player for Christmas. 90, man, I'm, I'm telling my age here. <laughs> Uh, 89 or 90, man. It was a big deal. They were really expensive back then. I remember and, my uh, my older brother coming home with those long boxes that they came in. Yep. I still, man, I still have the original reprise. I'm a big Jimi Hendrix fan. And I have still in, in cellophane plastic, still wrapped the entire discography reprise, Warner Brothers. Jimi Hendrix, all his releases, you know, Axis Bowl of Love, Smash Hits. I mean, just, just all of them. Still sealed in the long box. I can't wait to. Wow. They're in the garage now, and I can't wait to dig them up and show them to my my kids. Because the long box was marketing's answer to, I think, the album cover, you know, LPs. Just a, a big graphic cardboard thing but the thing about it is i don't remember people saving them you know like i got so good that i could feel the crease of the cd in the bottom of the box and just rip it apart you know rip it right through the middle and get the cd out but um since i'm a big big hendrix fan i i decided that'd be something that i still have man I got a few prints. a few who which one um prince oh yeah the, we were talking about Prince on the last episode or a couple episodes back. Man, he was. I got. I got the uh, diamonds, diamonds and pearls cassette. That was still when I was in middle school. Yep. Yeah, I got to see him seventeen times. I I got to photograph him once. You'll never forget that. Never, man. It was at Essence Festival. And, uh, he's one of my favorite artists. So it was it was pretty tough to turn that down, but. He personally approves all of his, I uh, mean, that's what I was told, that he personally approves all of his uh, his selects. So whenever we shoot it, edit it, and send it over to his people, I heard a rumor that he actually puts his eyes on it. And that instance in New Orleans some years back, uh, it was at the Essence Festival. He He was probably about, I don't know, maybe 200 feet away from where I was editing. So uh, he had a show to do after his main performance during Essence. He did a show at the House of Blues on Decatur Street in uh, 
in New Orleans in the French Quarter. Um, and his people were already, I mean, obviously the group and everything was already there. He's a superstar. He just, they just whiz him down there and he walks in like, you know, like a superstar is supposed to, to do. But after his main performance at, at Essence, we, uh, the team that I was working with, we were doing some of our selects and he actually was, was in the building, you know, after the crowd from Essence had dispersed and went home and stuff. But yeah, sometimes it's pretty hard, you know, depending on the, if it's an artist it's that, that I have loved all my life. Yeah. I, I, I do, do tend to get a little starstruck, but that's just normal. That really it's is cool. just the, yeah, man. the experience of a lifetime. You talk about Prince. Yeah. You get excited. I mean, he, he is, um, he was a living legend in his time. Yeah, man. And now he's one of the all-time greats. Yeah, I was, uh, his last tour before he passed, I was preparing to hit some of the shows and try to get approved for some of the shows. And I had a chance to shoot him in uh, Atlanta. And, you know, just some personal family stuff came up where I, my, I think my little girl had a, little girl had a recital or something and I couldn't make it. And the next thing I heard, he was gone, you know. So I was a little bummed about that because all of my buddies were kind of ragging me about coming over to just hang out, you know. And and so the, the plan was to shoot it and get regular seats. And after my time in the pit, I was going to go and hang out with my friends at that show at the Fox. He did two nights at the Fox, I think. And um, my friends were like, we can get you tickets and I, I totally got bummed just because I, I had something else to do. And then, he, then he, he was gone, you know. But I got a chance to see Prince 17 times, man. So in my life, so there's you, no regret. So when you worked that assignment, when you shot him, uh, this was not long before he passed or within a few years? Yeah, it was. It was I can't really – I'm trying to think about the, the time period. He took up a residency in Vegas, I think, for a while or – was doing some shows in Vegas and I was going to try to catch him there. And then he started doing his uh, man in piano which basically was kind of like an acoustic show with just him singing some of his big hits with piano. He was just basically sitting at the piano playing. And I was just like, man, that'd, that'd be the, the most awesome time to, to shoot him. He'll be sitting down. You know, I was just thinking about a lot of photographers will tell you that they, they make the pictures in their heads before they take the pictures. That's definitely a thing that I do. And so I was just like, man, this would be easy. You know, he won't be moving around. There won't be a band. You know, there'll just be a really good light, spotlight on him. But I just never got the opportunity to do it, you know, in that capacity. I wanted to hit a bunch of shows on that tour just to make sure I got a really iconic shot of him, you know, but it just never happened then. You know, one thing with Prince... He was just on a different level. Sometimes people perceive those those mega stars as unapproachable, prickly, uh, maybe difficult to actually interact with. But I heard it came out after he died that he was quite philanthropic, I guess you would say. Like he made charitable contributions that he didn't really want any attention oh, yeah. attached to it. Some of that stuff came out and... I think all of that's true. I don't know for sure. I'd have to, you know, read it with my own. I believe you. And I, I, I definitely have heard that too, that he was just, you know, uh, I thought you were going to ask if I ever had an opportunity to, to be in the same room with him, but yeah, that, that, 
that would be no. That that'd be no. I've never been in the same was, room with like. I was the closest. Maybe going to ask that, but I was like, I've always heard that Prince is like you. Probably most people only get like a few layers away. Well, and S usually have the media situated in the visitors' locker room, which is you know they've got like a place where they can review films, and they've got all of these little like they almost look like little closets for all the players. So we were we were pretty cozy in there. He was on the other side of the hall in the um, New Orleans Saints dressing room, which I, I I didn't get a chance to go over there and, and really check it out as much as I wanted to. All the years that I've shot Essence, I've just never been over there to just like really. We had to eat over there at one one year, but it's definitely nicer than the visitors' locker room. But yeah, he was probably the the walk from one side of the hallway. To the other side uh, is probably about two, three hundred feet. So he was pretty close. We had pretty strict rules not to disturb and you know just kind of hang, hang back. So have you been in a situation where you're not asking to meet the subject and you're doing your job and maybe there's an interim period there where you're grabbing something to eat and someone just because of um, their impression of you maybe has said, "Hey, Andy, come on! I want I want you to I want to introduce you to to so and so." Does that really happen? It rarely happens. Um, if you're on like a marketing team and you're working for an artist, and in passing they've seen you and they know that you are super professional and maybe, but usually these guys, security and marketing, they they have an assignment and they pretty much stick to the you know they stick to the plan. They don't. When you start breaking the rules like that, anything can happen. So, yeah, um, it, it rarely happens, man, like that. It'd be cool. It'd be cool if it did often. But, uh, yeah, it, it the normal one run of things is if you're not supposed to have access to a certain area, you just stay away. Sure. Andy, do you miss just handling the jewel case, just popping it open? I miss it. I miss driving and having a couple CDs in the passenger seat. Yeah, man. The case logic. Yeah. Remember that thing? Oh, yeah. I kind of got to where I'd have, I never had the visor CD thing going, but I had some in the middle console. But I I really got to where I was like, okay, I'm just going to leave the house and grab three or four CDs, and this is going to be the theme for today or for the week. All the time. I do miss that. I do, but, you know, you can do that with Apple Music Playlist and it's just a sign of the times, but it's not the same. It seems too easy. It seems, you know, it is like it's too easy to like. You know, it's not really as I don't think it's anywhere close to as satisfying when you just tap the download button. You're like, oh, okay, well, that's in my collection now. But right, it's, it's just not gone. Is the experience of what? Driving to the store, walking to that section, the metal section, the R&B section, the pop, whatever, thumbing through, finding it, or, if you know, maybe it's featured if it's a big release, and then opening it up, taking all that plastic, maybe it's a good thing we don't have all that, but the little sticky barcode on the top that you have to peel off. It's a lot of fun stuff with that experience. It, it just, I like the Apple Music, I, I'm an Apple Music subscriber. I mean, it makes it pretty easy. But not as fun. Not as fun, no. Hey, a couple really 
really random questions here. When was the last time that you, I haven't done this since I was a kid, I don't think. Well, no, it's been a little while. Not, <laughs> let me start the question over. What was the last time that you got a really good bubblegum bubble going where you just blow it out as wide as it can go without popping? It's, you know, it's been, it's been a long, I tell you, I, I, my kid brought some, uh, what was it? It's the, it's the, is it Big Chew or I don't know. Big League it's Chew. The, that's it. You that's get a it. good one going on those, on that. Brought some of that home from a party at school or something. And I did that and it just blew their mind. Um, we spent the, like afternoon me trying to teach them how to, and I was just like, "Hey man, it's." Or, I was telling my son, I was like, "It's right a passage. You got to do it, you know, and you can't get it all over your face. Like, it, you got to be, <laughs> got to learn it." And sure enough, for hours they're just they ate the whole bag, and you know we got a big rule: don't swallow it. You know. What about? All right, here's another one. It's another. I don't know how these questions come to me and why I even select them. Because I don't even know, like, they might bomb. I, I've, I've had a couple where I've asked and they just they just fall kind of flat, but I try them out. Um, old-timey pajamas with the nightcap. You know, maybe like 19th century, early 20th century. If your wife ordered something like that for you for Christmas, are you give it a shot and... Or or do you, or do you like to? I don't like to sleep with a lot on. I mean, not. I mean, I'm closed, not, but I don't like to have the the top and the bottom and the pants, and I don't do all that. But man, I'm a, I'm a big fan of like, you know, just t-shirt and I, I like a good pair of nice comfy pajama pants or pajama shorts. Yeah, um, on the cold cold nights, they don't really have to be themed. My wife will just run to Target and get me a an extra large of some plaid business or whatever. It doesn't have to be anything cool. My kids still wear the cool pajamas with hoodies and the footsies. You, you remember? Yeah. We still have some of those in circulation. They still rock those, but no, man, I kind of keep it simple, too. I just kind of just... Whatever they have at Target or Walmart, you know, no SpongeBob or anything like that. I, I tend to go for traditional plaid or or solid colors. I think I got about three in rotation, three different pairs. How about this? Have you ever, I mean, everyone has, but do you remember a time where you sent a text message and it autocorrected too fast or you hit send before you, you saw it? And you're like, oh, shoot, I just hit send and it was just way off of what you meant to say. Does that happen much or not so much? Happens all the time. (laughs) That's why you got to make sure you're always being sweet. One time, and this is years ago, not even with my wife, it was with the girlfriend, but I was trying to tell her, she was telling me something, you know, good that happened. And I was replying. I wasn't that great. I'm still not great at text shorthand, but I replied, G-F-Y, and I meant for it to, to read, good for you. 
and she sent me like the angry emoji back, or it was maybe before emoji. She said, "What are you trying to tell me?" Uh, what is G? What is G- <laughs> so, I, can't, I can't really say it on the the podcast, but it's you know go f <laughs> go f yourself. Ah, <laughs> oh, but she was on to it. She knew all the shorthand, and that's one that sticks out. There, both of the I, other ones have been able to explain away, but I wouldn't have been offended because I I wouldn't have even known. <laughs> Well, Andy, if people want to reach out to you for an assignment, what's the best way to contact Andy Rice? Man, uh, probably my my social media is always a good place to start. All of my social channels are the same. Rice Andy, which is R-I-C-E-A-N-D-I, is where you can find me on X, where you can find me on Facebook, where you can find me on Instagram. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn with Rice Andy. It's just R-I-C-E-A-N-D-I, Rice Andy with an I. Yeah, folks, go to the Instagram page, the Instagram page, check out the body of work. It speaks for itself. LinkedIn, look at the endorsements, the great reviews that Andy's received from the impressions he's made over the years. I'm just so glad we could do this today, Andy. Thanks for making the time. Man, all the time, dude. When you called, I was 190% in, so it's always good to hook up with an old friend. Uh, I'll, I'll let this be maybe the last little plug, but it's such an important thing, man. We were just talking about being fathers and dudes, and currently I'm working on a project. It's called Old Friends. I'm going to probably push it out at the beginning of the year. or um, I've been working on it for a couple of months, and it's basically to highlight and encourage the importance of just good friends. Uh, good friends always have your back. They're never going to let you slip up on life. So uh, I've been doing portraits of just friends that I've known all my life that have always been in my corner and have always supported me with all of my endeavors. And, uh, man, you, you fit that plug. So you slide into town, please come by the studio and we'll jam out. I've got a PA I've got a small PA here, man. So we can make it, it, it get really loud. Let's do it. Yeah, just come in and uh, sit for that and, and be a part of that project. And I chose black and white as the medium for it just because some of us aren't really as secure with our appearance <laughs> in our late age, just some of us. So to protect those people that are concerned with that, I, I chose black and white just because there's nothing there's nothing more beautiful than just a plain classic black and white portrait. So yeah, that's, I've, I've shot about 50 people so far, all true and tried old friends. And that's it. That's the project. It's called old friends. So when you come to town, Dan, want you to be a part of it. Andy, I would love to, I would be honored. Yeah, man. Can't wait to see you again. All right, Andy. Well, man, I will. It's been a pleasure. You can't see the big smile on my face, but it's been <laughs> I've, I've been trying to speak through the smile on, on my face. I, I, I really enjoyed this. Nothing like old friends, like you said. Old friends are the best. I said it a couple weeks ago, and folks, if you're listening and you got someone out there and you didn't burn the bridge, and it's not like there's not a reason to talk, maybe don't call them, don't cold call, but send a text message. If it's um, Happy New Year, you got an excuse to do it. You just never know. You just never know where it could lead. They remember you. People, 
people listening, you know, if you left a mark and you had a good bond with somebody, they didn't just forget you. They they know, they remember. Um, so pick up the phone again or get your fingers tapping again. Yeah. But this has been great, Andy. And folks, we will see you next week on the Dan Time Podcast. Again, if you want to be a part of the show or you know someone who might, dantimepod at gmail.com. I'm at dantimepod on the socials. Appreciate you listening. You guys have a great week. Go out there and make a difference in your area of expertise. All right. Thank you, Andy. You're welcome, man. All right. If you love that episode, if you're enjoying the Dan Time Podcast, be sure to download and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Hope you have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday.